Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be here again. Um, I was here a few Sundays ago, but uh, I was also here with, with Sharon a couple of weeks ago, uh, joining in with some of the midweek activities, joining in with the exercises for the older people, and I think I've only just recovered from that. Um, so, but it is great, good to be here. It's lovely to be here. And I'm going to be thinking this morning about what is the church. So that's the question, what is the church? I would imagine if we were to go outside and, and do a survey and say to people, what is the church? They probably, or many of them, would probably point to a building and say, there's a church or the church. I think if we're really honest, some people would say, well, what is the church? Well, it's boring and irrelevant. Some would say that. Some might answer, well, the church is somewhere to get married or to have a funeral uh, and a place people go to on Sundays. But it's always, people will point, I'll say, it's a place. Uh, I wonder how you would answer that question. Of course, when the Bible speaks of the church, it speaks of it being people. It's about people, not about buildings, not about a place where people meet, but a, uh, but a, a people. And so you have the local church spoken of in the New Testament. This is the church, the people, not the building, the people who are here today. And then there's the worldwide church and there's the universal church, which we'll meet once when Jesus comes again and everybody who's a believer from all ages will meet together. But someone called Alfred Luisi uh, once commented that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and what came was the church. And therefore, I think it would be in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God that we could expect to find some underlying principles that emerge in the apostles' teaching about the church. Now, having said that, we have to be very, very careful not to identify the church with the kingdom. It's not the same thing. Because the full power and glory of the kingdom is yet to be. But nevertheless, in Jesus' teaching of the kingdom, we will see much of what the nature of now we read some parables just a minute ago and Jesus often talks about the kingdom. He spoke about entering the kingdom. He urged the disciples to pray for the coming of the kingdom and would call the Lord's Prayer. It says, Thy kingdom come. He told them to preach the kingdom and Jesus demonstrated the kingdom uh, in power with all the miracles, the healings and so on. He illustrated the kingdom in parables as I said, we read some earlier and he promised future blessings of the kingdom. So the question that I will ask is, what is the kingdom of God? So the first thing I want to say is, it is uh, the sovereign act of God. It is the sovereign act of God. And because it is so, the kingdom of God cannot be brought into being by any effort of man, nor can it be brought into being by church discussions about it. We can't have meetings about it to see, well, we'll do this and then the kingdom will come. It is God who gives the kingdom. It is God who appoints the kingdom. And it is God who declares for whom it shall be. It's God ultimately who issues the invitations, who calls people to come, and who compels people to enter, and who rejects those who and for us, we can 
only receive the kingdom like a child. Yes. We are called to pray that God's kingdom should come. We are to be ready, we are to be watchful for the time when God's kingdom shall come in all its fullness. But in actuality, we cannot do anything to bring it about. We can do activities and things like that, we can preach the kingdom, but it's God who gives the increase. It's God who is in charge of the kingdom. And because this is so, if we want to see the kingdom of God come, as we pray, if we want to see God's kingdom come in this world, the church must first of all submit to the reign of God within its own ranks. We have to be fully dependent on God and live in obedience to what God says in his word the Bible. We cannot deviate from it. We mustn't say, well, that's irrelevant. God's word is still relevant and we mustn't deviate from it. And if we try to do so or do anything on our own, it's not this thing, but a good idea. We, we will fail. The church will fail. And if we deviate from God's word, we lose the Spirit's power. And nothing of any work will happen. Jesus spent much time in prayer so that he might proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. And he taught his disciples to do the same. Jesus spent so much time in prayer. He got up early morning. He'd go spend hours in prayer. If Jesus needed to spend that so he could demonstrate God's kingdom in power, uh, power the kingdom in power, have faith because if God's kingdom is his sovereign act, then we have to trust him and him alone the kingdom of God is And of course, if you look at the early church, we see that it grew quickly and demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards, talks about the early church getting together and uh, devoting themselves to God's word, to the preached word, to uh, prayer, to the Lord's Supper and so on. And they saw the church grow. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is where it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's tremendous. Daily, not just once in a while, but every day people were being saved and added to their number. Why? Because they devoted themselves to God, to hearing from God, to praying, and to try praying. That's so good. Try praying. Spend time with God. They devoted themselves to it and they saw God's kingdom coming. They saw the church growing. And the, the miracles they, they displayed and showed. And people were saved daily. And we, as God's people, must pray. We must apply the scriptures to every area of our own individual lives and the church's life. And we must be open to the power of the Spirit and the Lordship of Christ. God's kingdom is a sovereign act of God. It's him who brings it about. But it's also good news. God came to save sinners. God came to save us. And therefore, it is good news. It is not primarily the release of God's anger and wrath on the godless, but it is good news because it is an offer of forgiveness, peace and and joy. That's what it's about. And that's why we sang earlier, there is good news for the captive, there's riches, uh, beauty for the blind, and so on. It is good news. And the parables, we could have read so many parables, but I thought we perhaps shouldn't read too many. But the parables indicate that it is a wedding feast. 
It's an abundant harvest. It's a shelter for birds. It's hidden treasure. It's a pearl of great price. It is not a reward for the religious or good, but it's a free offer for those who repent and believe. It is good news. We have good news as God's people. The Old Testament tells us that the people of God were waiting for God's kingdom. Many of the prophecies speak of the joy there is when it comes because it is the glorious reign of God. And this means that Satan has been defeated. He's fallen. And God was now in their midst. When Jesus came bringing the reign of God with him, it meant that Satan's power was broken and that meant immediately an atmosphere of singing and dancing and celebration. The blind saw, the deaf heard, the dumb spoke and the lame leapt for joy. Read Isaiah 35 where it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That is the kingdom of God. That is good news. And God was glorified. And in the New Testament, when the 70 returned, having seen Satan fall and people released from bondage to demonic powers, they were over the moon. Now, it's true, Jesus said to them, just rejoice that your name is written in the, in the, uh, the book in heaven. But they were rejoicing because they saw God's kingdom coming. And when God's reign comes, there is an atmosphere of exuberant praise because there is good news for the poor, release for the captives, and liberty for the oppressed. And what this means for the church is that the church's image must reflect this. It must reflect the fact that it is joyful good news. Our message must be positive because basically our message is positive and a joyful proclamation that God reigns and rules and loves and has come to us at infinite cost in the person of his son Jesus to bring abundant joy and the fullness of life. And what better way to express love than by telling people that in Jesus there is this abundant joy and fullness of life. What better way to express love than by proclaiming that in Jesus there is good news for the poor release for captives and liberty for the oppressed. We have great good news to proclaim and this needs to be demonstrated so the church is attractive. So people come in and they see this is good news. We have eternal realities to get excited about such as being heirs of God. Have you realised that? We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have the unsearchable riches of Christ. We know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. We have the peace of God which passes all understanding. We have the love of God. We have his unfailing mercy. And we have so much to be excited about. The kingdom of God is good news. The church must proclaim it and demonstrate that it is Wonderful news, good news, it is great news. But it's also the reversal of worldly values. Jesus came, and when Jesus came, the, the Jewish people, they were expecting the Messiah, and the Messiah would come and he'd overthrow the Roman Empire, and the uh, Jewish nation would be 
in their own land again and everything will be hunky-dory. They expected a war, basically. But that's not what came when Jesus came. Because he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he showed that it had nothing to do with violent action, but that it would be marked by poverty, generosity and suffering, rather than concerned with human greatness, power or authority. It was that that Jesus came. It was nothing to do with uh, getting power, but it was all to do with service. And Jesus called, and still calls, for a revolutionary lifestyle which knew no half measures or compromise in terms of commitment. He basically said that we have to choose between the reign of God and the reign of the world. And he says, if anybody loves anything or anyone more than God, including family, possessions, ambitions or anything else, then he couldn't be his disciple. And he said God has to come unquestionably and unconditionally first before family and friends, money and possessions. It's a commitment of the whole life. And as somebody has said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we cannot water down Christian discipleship and nor can the cost. Jesus didn't try to water it down. He said, this is it. You have to take up your cross and you need to serve. And we cannot present the church as a club where the amount of commitment is a matter of personal choice and convenience. It is not that. We are an army. And in the early days of the church, the disciples rose to the challenge, despite being warned that they would be hated and persecuted, and they turned the world upside down. And eventually the Roman Empire embraced Christianity. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But as Christians, we must never be satisfied with a cosy lifestyle, but be prepared to accept the role of suffering and service that comes with the reign of God. Jesus presented the kingdom of God as a reversal of worldly standards and values. So must we. And Jesus in the early church was so threatening and disturbing that persecution was inevitable. And it is the church that is willing to die to worldly standards that will know the power of Christ's resurrection. It may be envied for its depths of love in relationships or for its spontaneous joy. It may be hated and persecuted, but the church will not be able to be ignored. When God reigns in his people, they become a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. But finally... It is in the future. Oh. Yeah, we've had it again. It is in the future. That is the final fulfilment of it is. Yes, the kingdom of God has come and God reigns now, but there is still more. There's still the now but not yet that we have. And finally, the world will see and acknowledge that our God reigns. And the church exists now in the days which exist between the coming of the kingdom in Christ and the final fulfilment of the reign of God. And when that happens, every power and authority will be destroyed and all things will be under the feet of Christ. But what that means is the church should always be on the move. The message remains the same. The message we have is unchanging. But structures, forms will change, activities will change. And a church that does not will fossilise and die. 
the church that doesn't listen to the voice of God or will not respond to the promptings of the Spirit will be quite unable to speak with relevance or power to a world that is rapidly changing. And we know it's changing rapidly. But that doesn't mean the church is out of date or irrelevant. The message is for today. How we present that message and the things we do may change. The kingdom of God is always dynamic. It's always moving. And it's why, or part of the reason why Jesus spoke against the religious leaders of his day. Because they held on to a tradition. They left the commandment of God and said, this is how it is. It won't change. Jesus said, things change. We mustn't hold on to tradition or institutions. Flexibility, mobility, sensitivity, fluidity are all part of what the church should be like. Because that is what the kingdom of God is like. And the church which seeks first the kingdom of God will experience the constant, fresh pouring out of God's spirit and see things happening in God's power. It will also be the church that is free. Free to serve God and the people of God. Free to serve the world in terms that are relevant for each generation. Free to move at the leading of the spirit. Free to explore fresh presentations of the unchanging message of the gospel. Free to overcome the ravages of sin, suffering and death through the cross and resurrection of Christ. Free to live and to love, knowing that God's kingdom will come and nothing can stop it. Such a church can never die. If it is willing to go often through the painful process of change, to cast off all that ceases to be relevant, then there will always be something beautiful and something that perfectly expresses the reign of God. A church which so lives and moves in the Spirit, will, despite all the fight, faults and failings of the church, always be to the praise of God's glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we are part of your church. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the good news that we have received and accepted. Lord, we pray that as your people, we will be the people you've called us to be, going out, proclaiming the kingdom of God and seeing people come into your kingdom and being filled with your spirit to the glory of your name. Amen.